Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. We'll be sharing a reading from Matthew 13, 1 to 8, and 18 to 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This, this is, is God's, God's word. word. Morning, church. Thank you guys for reading scripture for us this morning and uh, the band for leading us in uh, singing to our God. We are, uh, we're heading into uh, not just a new series, the series is called Reach, but it's not just uh, a new series, it's really actually a new season, and um, we just sort of are passing into the second decade of, uh, of the life of our church, and as a community and as a leadership team, we're really sensing that God is actually beginning to move and make clear how we're meant to move actually into this ne- next decade as a church, and so we have been praying a lot as a staff and elders team about this September, about where we're heading, and so... Um, so if you're a regular part of this church, we're just encouraging you to lean in these next four weeks. If you're totally new, um, we believe that God has something for everyone who comes into his house looking to hear from him. And so we believe that where our church is at and where you're at this morning are not sort of on different pages, but that God can connect what he's trying to do in a community with what he's doing in each of our hearts as individuals. And so I'm really excited about, uh, about where we head in this next month and what it means for our church, really not just for the next decade, but uh, for the future of Upper Room. Um, one of the things we do in, in our house is um, our kids work around the house, which is good. They don't always love that, but uh, it's a good thing. I don't always love it either. Uh, but, um, but part of that is they get allowance for the work that they do. And uh, there's bonus structures there for hard work and good attitude, right? Just like there is in life. Um, and one of the things that we're uh, talking to them about is the value of money and particularly what happens to money if, um, if you invest it if you invest it with an interest rate. And, 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 and I was talking to somebody the other day and said, you know what, if you get this one principle of money, it'll change your life in, in, in regards to the money that you have. It's this idea of compound annual growth. That if you invest money and you get a return on it, not only does the money you originally put in grow, but 
the stuff that grew keeps growing. And so the pie keeps getting bigger. In a sense, it's, it starts to multiply, right? And so you have growth on growth. And everybody from Lance Chilton, the wealthy barber, or uh, Warren Buffett, anybody who's made any amount of money understands this principle. That, and if you spent it, actually, as soon as you spend it, what you tend to buy will lose its value over time versus what you could have done if you invested it, it would grow. And so compound interest growth, it's multiplication. It's, it's exponential growth. You get this, you get wealth. Now, we, we understand this, right, when it comes to money, but we don't actually, actually often see that that actually is how life works on many levels. It's actually the way life was meant to work in regards to the purpose we have in life itself. We, we get sort of multiplication, exponential growth in terms of our money, but we don't actually realize, wait, that's actually what life is about. Because the truth is this. You are constantly, in a sense, multiplying who you are and what you do and how you live into the lives of other people. Right? I'm not saying anything that doesn't make any sense to you. We all have a circle that we could draw around us that has people in it on whom we have an exponential effect, a multiplicative effect, right? Like, so we have an effect on them, whether it's people we work with, people we share the dinner table with, people we live beside, and they are also have a circle. And so our impact on them impacts the way they impact other people in an exponential way. We used to joke about this at one of the companies that I worked at, that we knew if it was, if it was a bad staff meeting, like if we had gotten kicked around in our staff meeting, it's because our boss had gotten kicked around by his boss sort of earlier in the day, and it just kind of flowed down, right? And we used to joke that, you know, beatings will continue until morale improves. Um, it was this idea that, like, we knew there was a multiplying effect of what was happening sort of at the top, and it was a bad day or a bad quarter, and so they were getting a talking to, and so whoever reported to them was going to get a talking to, and then the rest of us were going to get kicked around too, because that's just how it works. And I, I say that sort of in, in jest, but you know this, right? That every one of us, in a sense, is whether we are conscious of it or not, multiplying what we are doing and who we are in the lives of other people, and it has an exponential effect on the world around us. Um, we actually know this even for, for those of you that have children. You know, they may have children one day, and if that happens, the, the exponent has taken place, like you have actually multiplied yourself. Now, if one of the things that gets in the way of us multiplying what is good in the lives of other people is the fact that as human beings, we tend to be about me and about now. Like I'm about me and I'm about now. We, we kind of think that, even though we don't say this out loud because it would sound horrible, but that the world is a movie and we are the lead actor and everybody else is supporting actors and actresses and maybe some props along the way. But the show's about us, ultimately. It's about me and it's about now. And, it, and if we let that kind of default mode of, of living take over, that's what we multiply. What we multiply in the world around us is selfishness. And in many ways, that kind of describes the culture that we live in. Because everyone's out to get theirs. And there's even some economic theorists that would say, well, yeah, that's how the economy goes around. That if each person just goes out to get theirs, the, the economy will grow. Because I'm about me and I'm about now. And, and we're probably more about now than any culture we have ever been. And yet, that gets in the way of actually multiplying what's good. And you can even think about this in, if you have children. You know, like, if you have children, like, it's fun trying to multiply. But then you have children, and then, um, and then but if it's about me and it's about now, that's going to get in the way of what I want to really multiply in my kids' lives. Right? Because if it's about me, then I'll see, oh, my children are kind of inconveniencing me because they're just getting in the way and they need this, but I want this. 
And if I'm about now, I'm not going to actually think about the future, what needs to build in their lives and where they need to go and, and what I want to build into them that they might be able to build into the lives of other people who surround them. And potentially, if they have children one day or whatever imp circle of impact, circle of influence they have. If I'm about me and I'm about now, I'm not going to actually multiply any good into their lives. The same is true, and we can actually bring that mentality into our relationship with God, right? Like, if, if we're honest much of our prayers are about me and about now, right? And if we're mad at God, or we feel like he's not answering prayer, it's because he's not doing this for me, or God, why are you doing this to me? And why are you taking so long to do it? Because I'm about me and I'm about now. The scriptures actually tell us that from the very beginning of time, you and I, in a sense, were put on the earth, created by God, and sent out into the world to multiply. One of the very first things that God said to the human beings that he created was, be fruitful and multiply. And he wasn't just talking about sort of the propagation of the human race. He wasn't just talking about physical multiplication. In a sense, we know that's exactly what human beings have done in a sense have launched out into the world and created all kinds of things that didn't exist at the beginning of time. In a sense, carrying out this idea of multiplying the work of the creator, creative God who made us. Remember we talked about that uh, a few months ago when we talked about work, that one of the things we're meant to do in work is actually create, just as the God who created us gave us that task to do. To actually multiply, that it is not something that just is a principle of economics, it's actually a principle of life, is that we are meant to multiply exponentially to grow in the impact of the circle of influence that is drawn around us, whatever it happens to be. It doesn't matter what your title at work is. It doesn't matter what kind of family stage or life stage you're in, whether you like it or whether it's frustrating to you or whether it's not quite where you want it to be. Every one of us, we can draw a circle around us and, and, and see there are people, there are things happening around me that I am meant to have a multiplying effect on as, as I affect them, they will affect others. When Jesus came to earth, and began to teach and talk in that passage that was read for you. It was one of those times where Jesus was, was teaching in such power. People crowded around to see him and listen to him. And it says he got into a boat just to get offshore a little bit so he could kind of actually make room for enough people and teach them. And he was talking to them about what the kingdom of God is like. In other words, what is life really meant to be like? And he tells them this story. Um, it's a, a fairly famous parable, or a parable is just a, it's a, it's a, a figure of speech, a, a using language and metaphor and context that they would have understood. Many of them were farmers. They would have understood the idea of sowing seed and growing stuff to explain to them this whole principle of multiplication and what life is supposed to be like. And he says that a, a farmer kind of sows seed. It's this idea of the message of Jesus being kind of spread out all over the world. And if you think about it, that, that's what Jesus came to do. He came to talk about himself. <laughs> Yet he was the most humble person who ever walked the face of the earth. He was coming to them with good news. And he said, the good news comes out to you kind of like a farmer sows seed. It's scattered all over the place. Jesus talked to crowds. And in a sense, he talked to people. And now 2,000 years later, billions of people since then have actually heard the name of Jesus, have actually heard his word. There's over 2 billion people apparently in the world today who call him Savior and Lord and millions and millions and millions who have died before them since the time of Jesus. That in a sense, the message of Jesus has been scattered all over the world. But he says this, and, 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 and it wasn't just information about Jesus. It was the fact that God had come to show his love, to show his forgiveness, to show his grace, to offer people not just forgiveness of their sins, but actually a new way of living, to be invited into a kingdom, a different 
uh, with a different set of values and a different purpose in life. That God had not forgotten them, that God knew the world was broken, that God knew the world was shrouded in darkness and he had sent light into it. This was the message that Jesus brought and he said, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the one that has come. I am good news. And so he's scattering this seed, the stories about himself. Everything he was talking about was about the kingdom of God and himself as the way to get to the kingdom of God. And many, many people heard the word, but he said, people are going to have different reactions to the news about me. He said, some people, it's going to be like seed that falls on soil that never really goes anywhere. And he actually says the enemy, that there's an enemy of our soul, and the enemy who's opposed to God, and he is the, the prince of darkness or the king of darkness. He's the one that's against all of that is light and good and right and gracious and loving. He kind of steals that from people. And so some people hear it, but it just, it just escapes them. Either they don't have any interest or they think it's not good news or they think it's not important or they, or they hate the idea of it. And he says nothing happens to it. It gets stolen away. Something precious, the kingdom of God, gets stolen away from them. And he said there are other people who receive, who hear this message about Jesus and something in their hearts goes, yes, I, I think this might be true. I, I think this might actually be the greatest news I've ever heard. But he said, you know what? Life gets difficult and so nothing ever comes of it. There's a little bit of growth like a plant, but he says there's no roots and, and the difficulty of life when storms come and challenges and trials and people start to say, well, why would you believe that? It doesn't make any sense. You realize, wow, I'm following Jesus. It's actually, it's actually hard that that just goes away and dies. And he says, there's other people that, that hear the word and they receive it and they start to grow, but something grows right alongside them. Thorns. And he says, you know, you know what he describes? The, and then he says, the thorns choke out the life in a sense. You know how like, I, I, I cannot get anything to grow in my house except weeds. And I don't even try. I don't even have to try. It just happens. I think it's the Tim Hortons cups that are buried in the front of my lawn somewhere or whatever. But what, like, and they just see like anything we're trying to cultivate that's good that grows. But man, weeds and thorns, they just come up and they wreck what's growing. And Jesus says, look, some people are going to respond to me and say, oh, this is good news. And yes, I, I want this thing that Jesus is talking about. I want this kingdom. It's, it sounds amazing. Forgiveness sounds amazing. Grace sounds amazing. The love of God sounds amazing. A new purpose, a new life. All of that sounds incredible. And yet something grows up right beside it that interferes with them being able to really receive it. And he says, you know what it is? He says, it's very interesting, right? We think like, oh, this must be Satan, the weeds. Satan, he's like, no. So the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. It's this idea that life in all of its busyness and all of its cares and all of its the whirlwind that goes on from day to day to day and wealth that is constantly saying, no, no, this is ultimate purpose. This is ultimate reality. This is where fulfillment is found. This is what is enjoyable in life. He said all of that begins to compete with the message of Jesus Christ and it actually chokes out the potential for life. So there's people that that, that, that happens to. And I think the true reality is every one of us battles with the busyness of life, the cares and worries of life, and the lies of what wealth promises us. And Jesus says, actually, those things will compete with the kingdom that is trying to grow in your life. And then he says there's a fourth kind of soil. And he's describing what happens, right, in, in four different instances in the way people receive the good news. He said, but there's a fourth soil. And, and that the message of Jesus goes into their lives and they receive it with joy and it begins to take deep root. In other words, it goes deep into their lives. It begins to affect every part. This idea of deep roots is this idea that the message of Jesus finds soil. It's rich, it's deep, there's nutrients and roots begin to grow. This thing 
that Jesus says is the kingdom, the message about him begins to so take over the soil of some hearts. And then what begins to grow is something new. He says, when that happens, two miracles are taking place. First of all, it's the miracle of growth. Something comes alive in you. You know, we sang that song, right, about, about dead things coming to life. That's actually what Jesus said in other places. That's, it's, it's just what it's like. It, the kingdom is not some information that we go, oh, that makes sense, or a, a rule book that we go, I'm going to try to follow. It's like, no, when Jesus comes into the core of our lives, he begins to change us, and things that are dead come alive, and things that needed to die, die, and new life grows. In a sense, when you, when you see it happen, and if you know, if you ever tried to plant anything or whatever, there's all of the things that you need to do and water and seed or whatever, but every time it grows, it's a miracle, right? Something beautiful, green, comes out of the ground, out of a bunch of dirt, sometimes poo, right? Like something beautiful and new comes out of that. And you think, how did, it's a miracle that it actually grows. And you know, sometimes some of you, like if it actually grows healthy and it actually stays alive and it stays green and it buds and flowers, it's a miracle. You know that because you think, man, this doesn't always happen. And Jesus says, actually, many times it doesn't happen. But when it does, something new comes alive. And that's the first miracle. It begins to, to, it's new life, but it's also new growth. Growth that begins to overpower anything else that might take it over. And I guess the first thing to say about that is Jesus says, if the kingdom of God, if the message of Jesus, if the life of Jesus has actually taken root in your life and begun to grow, it's a miracle of grace. If you're sitting here this morning, and you're one of those people that says, yeah, I, I believe this. Like wh when I heard the message of Jesus, maybe it wasn't the first time I heard it, or maybe I heard it a long time ago when I was a kid and I didn't really know what I was listening to, or maybe I just heard it recently, but over time I began to understand and think, this changes everything. This is the good news. This is the thing all of humanity is looking for. Forgiveness, healing, redemption, being brought into a family, being given a hope and a purpose and a future. This is life. This is good news. If you believe that, it's a miracle. Because many people hear it and just think, that's just religion. Or that's just whatever. That's for some people, it's not for me. Realize, no, no, actually, this is good news for everyone. If, if it has taken root in your heart, just thank God right now, because it's a miracle. It's nothing you did. It just was that soil that received and began to take root, and it began to grow. And, and throughout um, this series, we're actually going to be, um, you know, we're always encouraged in, in, in the family of God to tell each other the stories of new life because when we hear about miracles, it just produces faith in our lives. When we hear about what God is doing in each other's lives, it encourages us because many times, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm thinking, God, where are you at work in my life? I, I sometimes have a hard time seeing you or sometimes I'm just beaten down by my own sin or by my own inability, I feel like, to grow. And sometimes when I see or hear how God is growing and birthing new life in the other people, it produces faith in me again. And I remember, yes, you are able to do this stuff. And so throughout this series, we're going to be telling stories about you know, people saying, well, this is what Jesus has done in my life. This is the new life that God has birthed in me. And so I want you to watch um, one of those stories this morning. So I came to Upper Room about four years ago. Um, it was um, in the summertime, and my Uncle Mauricio 
um, used to attend the church before moving to Vancouver. And he would always tell me about this church that was in the movie theater and that it was um, in English because I'd always gone to my family's Spanish church. I had just finished high school. So I was in a, a, a big change in my life, a different season. At that point in my life, I really didn't have a good relationship with God. I was just going to church with my family because I knew I had to. I didn't have that connection that everyone did, and I was envious of that. So when I started coming to Upper Room, um, I really wanted to get a deeper connection with God. And so my dad passed away seven years ago. So when he passed away, my relationship with my family wasn't the same. I was really angry and, and really bitter. So when I was you know, attending Upper Room and I shared my story, I felt as if I was just releasing everything that, had, like, that I was feeling. You know, and people were praying for me. And I remember going home after certain sermons and just crying and crying and, and crying out to God, like, why do I feel this way? Help me not feel this way anymore. Because I remember um, speaking to uh, VJ and saying, you know what, I need a group of Christian friends. I need a place to go to every week to help me really get to know God um, on a deeper level. So I remember um, going to my home group the first couple weeks and I felt like a fish, like a, a fish in like a really big sea, like this little like dory. I didn't know what, I really didn't know what I was getting myself into and everyone was so nice and um, the added bonus was the snacks. But no, just the fact that I was able to open up and I remember I, I kept opening up and I felt like Niagara Falls, just like I would say things and I remember looking at them like with a big question mark on their face and just, um, I'd always be like, am I saying the right things? And they're like, yeah, it's fine. And I'm, I'm the youngest one there. Um, so I remember I would have so many questions about God, about life, about love, about friendship, about family and we were able, like, we all were able to talk about it and just be real. My dad, since he was that role model for me spiritually, I knew that since he's not here anymore, I know that I could be that person for my family. I could be that light for my sisters who unfortunately, you know, stopped attending church. Prayer really helped, and a lot of young people don't realize this, but prayer is a big factor in our relationship with God. And I would pray every night. Um, I would just pray and cry out to God and and just ask for specific things. You know, God, release this anger from me, release this bitterness, help me connect with my family again. I wasn't angry anymore because I, I was taught again how to pray, how to pray for specific things, not just pray about, you know, abroad things or, or just anything. Just pray about specific things and pray them on the regular. I know I'm not the only person that goes through this, but that's why I was able to, like, go to church and, and really connect with people that may have gone through something like that or maybe they hadn't but they were just ready to pray for me and they're ready to teach me about God's Word. God brought me to Upper Room for a reason and that reason was to help me let go of that anger and bitterness that I had inside and realizing that you know at the end of the day my God my my dad passed away but I know where he is and I truly I feel as if I've grown spiritually. Um, I've, I'm I'm so happy that I was able to come to Upper Room and shout out to my uncle for bringing me, honestly. What amazes me is that, you know, Sarah's story, even though it's, it's in its details very different from any one of ours, 
I know we could sit here probably for hours and, and each of us could talk about that some kind of new life and thing that, that God did in our lives through the hope of Jesus and how it really began to change our lives. It, it's, it's their testimonies, in a sense, stories to a miracle that takes place, things that we could never do for ourselves that Jesus says, this is the kingdom, that there's forgiveness and freedom and transformation. And this is the miracle that begins to happen when we receive Jesus, when he you know, begins to take root in the core of our lives and new things begin to grow and dead things come to life again. But, but the second miracle is not just new life, it's growth. You know, farmers will say that out of one seed in a plant, it has the potential to produce 600 to 1,200 additional seeds, depending on the conditions and depending on the plant. And then those seeds, as they are planted, have the same exponential effect. That's out of one seed, out of one plant. And Jesus says, the kingdom is like that. Out of the life of one person, things exponentially can begin to change. In one person's life, and Sarah talked about the sphere of influence and knowing, actually, I know, you know, my father was, was a light to me, was, was, was a spiritual mentor to me, and now he's gone, but I know that I'm meant to be the same light to the people around me. She's saying, I, I get that. That there is a circle of influence over which, as God has worked in my life, because what Jesus has done for me isn't just for me. That it's actually meant to grow and multiply and change the lives of other people. I believe this is one of the things that we actually doubt so much in our faith. Is can I really have an impact on the lives of other people? Can I really begin to change that way? But when I stop thinking, okay, this is just for me and this is just about now, and know what Jesus has done for me isn't just for me. What is growing in my life is not just for me. That I actually want to see that multiplied in the lives of other people. You know what it means? That, that we say, you know what? This is too good to be true for just you. This is too good to be true for just you. And this is actually the, the, <clears throat> the reality of what happens when we get the message of Jesus. When it begins to penetrate our lives and we go, wait a second, like this, is, this isn't just for me because there's so many other people that need to know what I know. There's so many other people that I want to experience the transformation work that has happened in my life. I want to see it in the lives of the people that are around me. It is inevitable. It is unavoidable, this idea of multiplication that we, when we get the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we get that this is good news, that this changes everything, something in us begins to grow and we say, you know what, this is too good to be true for just you. Because what Jesus has done for me isn't just for me. <clears throat> Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, you know, right before he was going to leave, he, he said this amazing thing about, almost about describing this, this miracle of new life and new growth. He said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I chose you and I appointed you to bear fruit that will last. He's saying, look, if you understand this and you receive me, it's not you, it's me. It's a miracle in your life. But I've actually now done this in your life so that you would begin to multiply that in the lives of other people. That as we begin to actually understand what Christ has done for us, the next instinct is to say, okay, well, how is this meant to multiply and flow to the people around me? In fact, the reason you're sitting here is because somebody else asked that question is like, and realized, wait, this isn't just for me. The reason you're sitting here is because someone else realized this isn't just for me, that Jesus has actually appointed us to bear fruit, to multiply. 
and that if it's truly the work of God in our lives, it will truly reach out. And that's why our vision is a deep faith and a wide embrace because we believe if your faith in Jesus really begins to deepen, you will begin to know the God who emptied himself and gave himself for the lives of others, that that's what actually begins to happen in our lives. And so here's what this means. We've started to talk about this as a church and say, okay, so every church has the calling and mission to multiply. That's, it's not about whether you will do it. It's just about how. Every follower of Jesus has the mission to actually multiply. It's not whether you're going to have a, an impact in the, in the life of Jesus and lives of others. It's just how you're going to do it and how you're going to pray into it and say, yeah, I actually want to do this. And so we've been talking as a church and say, what does it mean for us that we've been here 10 years? How do we actually begin to multiply? And so the, the vision that we want to share with you is that over the next 10 years, and we've just come to 10 years, that we actually want to see five congregations of Upper Room impacting 3,000 people in the places where we live. That, that we believe that God has actually called us to say, what, what I have done in you here, <clears throat> in this theater, in this part of the city of Vaughan, through the power and work and life and death and resurrection of Jesus, <clears throat> is actually meant to be multiplied in different places around the city. Because there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people out here who I believe, you know, it was the reason that, that, <clears throat> that I left the job that I was doing before and became a pastor of this church. Because I had felt like so many people had rejected a Jesus they never really knew. So many people had walked away in a sense from the seed because of how it was presented to them or because of maybe the lifestyles of people and they looked at it and said, well, you say this, but you don't actually live like that or because of the church and the way it was, or because of religion, or because of whatever it is. And that there is actually the reality of Jesus that more people need to know. And you know this, because when many people talk to you about your life in Christ, they think you're talking about religion. You say the word church, and this big shadow comes up behind you, and their eyes glaze over and go, oh yeah, no, that's not for me. And you're like, no, no, you don't get it, you don't get it, it's not religion, it's not a church. I don't even, I don't even go to church in a church. <laughs> It's, it's not about that. It's not about the building. It's not about, it's about Jesus. They're like, oh yeah, no, no. It's like, no, no, you really need to know. And there's something in you that knows. They don't quite know because if, if they knew that you, there was something inside you that, that, that would say, oh yeah, this is, this is actually news that changes everything. And so we believe, because there's thousands more people out there that need to do that, you need to actually plant new churches and new sites in order to reach new people. Um, our, our church was planted 10 years ago um, by a church down in Rexdale. And you know what's interesting is if I think about just even a few of our staff members, like if you had, if you had asked Melissa or asked me or asked Malcolm or asked Kurt even like 10, 15 years ago, do you think you'll ever be like on staff in a church? Yeah. Malcolm wasn't even a follower of Jesus at that point. He would have said, no, definitely. I, I doubt that. Highly doubt that. And if you'd ask me, oh, do you think you'll be a, people used to ask me that because my dad was a pastor. They'd say, oh, do you think you'll be a pastor of a church? I, I just would say, no, it wasn't like I, I thought the idea was terrible. I just think, I don't think I could do that. And I don't seem to, like, it was just not in my mind. And then something happened when Upper Room was planted and, and God begins to call. Like, because when, when new things happen, when we actually multiply what God is doing, God raises up new leaders. And there are many of you doing all kinds of things in this church. And you think, like, if somebody had told me 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago that I'd be doing that, I would have shaken my head. But you would have said, some of you have gotten baptized in the church. And some of you have said, I know some of you have said at the beginning of a baptism service, I'll never get in that trough. And by the end of it, you were in it. That's true. Some of you think, well, I, I, nah, nah, church is not for me, religion is not for me, whatever. And here you are today, and you know it has nothing to do with church and nothing to do with religion. It's Jesus has changed your life. 
when, when new things happen, when, when, when the kingdom of God, in a sense, is multiplied and the church says, hey, we know this isn't just for us, that, that what God has done for you isn't just for you. It's too good to be true for just you. And we begin to actually scatter seed. New life happens. It just happens. And it has been happening since Jesus started the church. And so we know, hey, we actually need to, we believe that if we plant new sites, new congregations of upper room in places around the city of Vaughan and, and even outside where we believe, hey, there's places that actually need a church, some nearer to where some of you live. He'd say, yeah, there's neighborhoods, there's people, there's places, people who actually live close to me who maybe they would actually come. Maybe they would actually begin to, um, to, to see Christ for who he is. And we believe that <clears throat> we shouldn't draw this circle of impact small because there are, we're in a city that is growing so fast, still one of the fastest growing cities in Ontario and I think Canada. They say it's going to be like 500,000 people by, by 2030. There's a circle of impact that even our church is having right now, but that is meant to increase because what Jesus has done for us isn't just for us. Because we believe when, when we do that, God reaches new people. God raises up new leaders. God begins to impact and do new things. You know, we, we've gotten involved with a, with a, a ministry in, in Guinea, in West Africa. And we know that there's stuff happening there. There are children that are being fed there. There are children who are getting new HIV meds that, that couldn't get them if we hadn't have done what we did, we're meant to actually multiply that in the lives of other people. And so you're staring at a number right now that says 1.2 million, right? So, yeah. So we actually believe that the next step for us is to establish like a, a permanent space for Upper Room, which involves entering into a capital campaign. We've never actually done that before. We're calling it the REACH campaign to raise 1.2 million. Because we believe that part of what we're meant to do is actually multiply the money that God has given us by giving to his kingdom. We believe that, you know, we're kind of running out of space in this place and can we actually get a permanent space that would allow our congregation to grow, you know, up to around 400 and then keep sending out kind of groups of 100 to, to reproduce what happened here like when, when a group of 100 was sent into Vaughan and to actually allow us to do that. And that's why we're heading into that campaign. But the whole idea of giving, and we're going to be talking about that and where that goes, that, that can look like an enormous number. One of the things that our leadership felt really uh, um, strongly about was we made a commitment that said 10% of that is going to go to our ministry in Guinea, and we actually want to be able to sponsor a Syrian refugee family to come here in the next year as well. And so first we said, okay, yeah, let's, it was kind of a cool meeting. We sat down together and we said, okay, we, let's, let's give 10% of this away. And then we said, okay, let's actually give the first 10%. So that if we just raise 120,000, great, we've done something amazing. And if that's all we do, that'll still be incredible. And so we've already committed that first 120,000 to go to Guinea over the next two years and to this year, and we're beginning to kind of bring a team together that will help us actually uh, get involved in refugee sponsorship. And who knows where that will lead? Because we actually believe this isn't just about me and this isn't just about now. Because churches can sometimes get caught in that, and like this is about us and this is about what we need actually saying, no, God actually wants to multiply the money that we have even more to impact the lives of people all over the world. And we know, hey, we're meant to be in on that. Because that's the way God works. That's the way the church works. Now, one of the really exciting things is we actually, as a leadership team, so it was 12 leadership families, so our, our staff, elders, and former elders, 
who began to go through this, this giving campaign first, which, which you guys are going to be invited to, and Malcolm's going to give you a bit of information on that over the next month. But for the last month, we've been praying through that as a leadership team and said, okay, what is, gonna, what is our leadership commitment going to be for our 12 families as we go first? Because we, we want to say to the church, hey, we're with you. We're going to go wrestle through the same things. We got to figure out this money stuff, and how do we give, and how do we have faith, and how do we trust that God is in this? And so we set a target, which we thought was kind of uh, impossible to me, and we didn't know how we were going to do that. And each of us as families just went home and, and just started to pray and said, God, what do you want us to do for ourselves? What can we do? What, can, what sacrifices can we make? What? And every one of us is in different uh, situations, socioeconomically, different stages in life and all that stuff. And we just said, it's not about um, the amounts that we give, but the willingness to sacrifice whatever that means for each of us. And we kind of handed our pledges. And so we, um, we set a goal of 300,000 and we raised 306. So we're over 25% of the way already to that 1.2. And we just, as a, as a leadership team, felt like, man, like, God, like, we didn't even think you could do this in us. We, every, every one of us was like, well, we can't actually put a dent in this thing, but we're just going to trust and we're just going to pray. And, and I can tell you, I'm just so excited to actually lead our church through that process because I know what it's done uh, in our home and in the lives of our leaders already. And this is just one thing. Like, money's just a small thing, right? God can, God can open the skies and he can turn off the tabs whenever he wants. <laughs> so it's not about, uh, money is way less of a thing than we think it is, but our hearts are a big deal and what God wants to do in us. And so this is the journey that we're on that we feel like, okay, the next step in order to help us actually to get a hub to begin to be able to plant these congregations over the next 10 years. And our partnership with Connection, as some of you know, down in Rexdale is already giving us the opportunity to say, okay, what would it look like if we actually had another site or congregation of upper room in a different part of the city? And Mark and I and their leadership team and our leadership team are beginning to talk about that. And so we just trust that God has potential for multiplication that we could never plan or make happen. It's always a miracle of grace, but our job is to say, okay, God, we're in. We want you to do that in our lives. And the thing that I know is that if he's doing this in our church, he's going to do it in your lives. Even if you're just coming new to this church, you've been here a long time, it's because God has something in it for you. But it's not just for you. It's for the circle of impact around you. And so here's what I want you to encourage you to ask is this question. Who else is this for? Who else is this for? Whatever God has done in my life, whatever ways he's blessed me, whatever way I see the kingdom of God growing in my heart, who else is this for? Because it's not just for me. Who else needs to be impacted? Who else in my circle? And friends, let's be honest, we don't ask that very often. We pass by people all the time with like the white hot shining light of Jesus in our hearts that has totally changed us. And sometimes we don't breathe a word of it to anyone around us and they wouldn't even know. I mean, they would know if they were close enough to see our lives, but we don't actually tell them what's changed and why we're different and why we feel differently and think differently about the world around us. There are, and so um, one of our elders said, he, he, he did this and challenged his home group to do this, is write down five names of people that you're going to begin to pray for. Five names in your circle that you know, hey, I want these people to know what Jesus has done for me. I want Jesus to multiply in their lives what he's done in mine, that this is too good to be true for just me. And so who are those? And I just say, pick a, pick a number five because there are people. And maybe some of you already have that list. They're coming to mind. Or maybe those names are just floating into you now and say, yeah, you know what, that person, that person. Maybe it's, maybe it's someone you're married to. Maybe it's someone who's in your uh, family. Maybe it's someone in your neighborhood. Maybe it's someone you've worked with just recently or maybe worked with for decades. Maybe it's someone you've been friends with a long time. And you never, conversations never actually gone there about Jesus. You say, okay, who are those, who are five names? And begin to pray for those names. 
I challenge you to do that over the next month and say, God, okay, this is, this is about something you want to multiply in me. How do you want to do that in the lives of other people? To begin to pray for them. And then say, God, Jesus, how, how do you want me to be a light in their lives? How do you want to use me to impact them? Pray that Jesus will use your life to change theirs. On November 13th, 1930, Ross Ingram was born to a couple in Windsor, Ontario. And, uh, and, and his, grade, his grade two teacher said to his parents, he's such a dreamer, he's never going to amount to anything. He's always dreaming about stuff. Uh, at the age of 18, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he began thinking, okay, maybe, maybe I want to get into pastoral ministry. And in, uh, in 1955, a group of five families wanted to start a church in Coburg. And so they called Ross to come be their pastor. And so he planted Coburg Alliance. And that church is still going strong and has impacted many people all over the world. And some of you may know uh, Melissa, who's on staff here, her, was raised at that church, came to faith at that church as Ross went over and planted that church. And then a little while later, an acre of land came available on, Rex, on Islington Avenue in Rexdale, and they called Ross in 1960 to come and plant Rexdale Alliance Church. And the first day he was there, with, uh, the first service was seven people, five of whom were his family, and then two people that they saw coming down the street in Islington Avenue that morning. And he, and he remembered his son, like, hanging out the front door of this place where they were going to meet, saying, Yeah, there's someone coming, you know? Those seven people gathered for church that first day in 1960. A little while later, three acres of land became available right beside them. And he went to the bank and he said, look, we got a church of 50. We actually want to build. We want to build a sanctuary. And they're like, 50 people is not enough for us to send in a loan request. We're not going to do it. And he, there was this kind of standoff with the banker. And he said, you're missing something on your form. You don't have any space for faith on that form. And so he convinced the guy at the bank to send in the loan request and it got approved. And they bought Rest and with 50 people. It's grown to a church of well over 1,000, planted a few churches, planted our church. It was the church where I came to faith in Jesus Christ at Rexdale. And then 10 years ago, planted Upper Room, where some of you have come to faith in Jesus Christ. A little while after, Ross left Rexdale, and my dad became the pastor, and Ross went to First Alliance Church, which is a church had been around for a while, but as he began to teach and preach and God began to use him, that church began to grow. And years later, Tony Samet went there as his first sort of youth pastor assignment and had the privilege of shepherding some of the families that Ross had brought and brought to faith there. The exponential effect of a life of someone who said, what Jesus has done for me isn't just for me. I was watching um, his eulogy the other day, and his son Dan was describing how Ross, near the end of his life, you know, he, had, he was in a nursing home, and he had begun to just lose his mental capabilities, and, and Dan was saying he, it, had been, it had been months since he had even put a sentence together. He, he, he could kind of tell he was a little bit coherent at times, but would miss what was going on around him, and sometimes a word here and a word there. And Dan said, I was sitting in the room of a, of a woman who had just come into that nursing home. It was the room where Ross's wife had been for years with Alzheimer's, and Ross had sat beside her for decades, just loving her and caring for her, and she had passed away. And now Ross was there, kind of really frail and feeble and kind of hanging on his son's arm. And this new woman had come in, and his son was just trying to help her, you know, get comfortable. The fact it was a new environment, she was having trouble. And he said, all of a sudden, like, Ross sits up, bolt, puts his hand right on the woman, saying, don't worry, I'm going to help you here. <laughs> One of the last sentences he uttered in his life. So what God does with the life is says, this isn't just for me. And I wonder, what would he do with your life? I say that all the time, God, I can't change the world but I can give you my life.
And whatever you want to do, whatever you've done to me, I didn't write this in the script. <sighs> it's not just for me, I know that. And I can't change everything, but I can give you my life and say, I, I don't know what story you have for me, but I want it. I ask you, what story does God have for you? And are you willing to say, okay, this isn't just for me, I'll start with five. <laughs> and we'll see what goes from there. And I just know, I'm just so thankful Ross lived that way. I know many of you are already beginning to live that way. And I just say, God, I don't know what you have for us, but I know it's good. And I don't want my story for my life. I want yours. I don't want my story for our church. I want yours. And I'm just going to trust you for what you're going to do with that. The worship team is going to come up and lead us in a song. It's called Miracles. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as you learn it, don't worry about learning it. <laughs> just take the words into your heart. And just pray, God, this is a miracle. It's only going to happen in a miracle, a miracle of growth and faith in my life. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I'm not even a follower of Jesus. I'm just still trying to figure this out. Well, it's still going to be a miracle if it, if it comes into your heart. Maybe you're saying, God, I don't know how to multiply what you've done in my life, but I want to just pray for a miracle. Let's pray together. And this is my benediction for you. God, who was and is to come, the power of your risen Son, the God who brings dead things to life. We believe in you. Your plans, your purposes, your words stand forever. And so our confidence is not in us, in our abilities, our plans, our wisdom. The one thing we know as we face a future that is always uncertain because we know who you are. So I just want to bless you that your heart would be able to believe. That your heart would be able to believe with deeper conviction the things that your mind knows. I want to bless you with a greater understanding, knowledge, and experience of Jesus Christ, the one who has been sent to us. And I want to bless you with a greater amount of faith and confidence in who he is. And that when Jesus said, I will build my church and not even hell itself will be able to stop it. That this is the one we have confidence and faith in. In Jesus' name, amen.